Hey, honey. You asked me to wake you and tell you what happened in the election. Who won? Trump. Trump won. But I thought you could only be president two times. Not anymore. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Okay. Who's going to be responsible for the dry cleaning bill now that I have to clean my pants? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. <laughs> and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Oh. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you I am Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with, with a you. shiver down my spine From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans where even as we go to air, Hurricane Zeta, now Category 2, is striking the Louisiana coast. Stay safe down there, our fifth storm to hit Louisiana this year. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com with uh, Desi Doyen and what yep. I believe is the most chilling advertisement of the year there that we played at the top of this show. Indeed. What a twist and scary as hell. We will hope it does not um, does not happen. Anyway, uh, it is not a good day for Donald Trump. The, uh, not, uh, not by a long shot. Uh, Miles Taylor... The former chief of staff at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, who stepped forward in August to blast Donald Trump's leadership, said on Wednesday that he, in fact, is anonymous. The senior administration official who had written that scathing op-ed and the book about the disastrous Trump White House while serving in the Trump White House. That news just broke over the past hour. In a post on Medium entitled Why I'm No Longer Anonymous, Taylor said he wrote the op-ed as a way to get the White House to focus on 
what he was saying, the original op-ed on what he was saying about the danger that he thought Trump posed to the country instead of focusing on him. He said it was not an easy decision. I wrestled with it, and I understand why some people consider it questionable to levy such serious charges against a sitting president under the cover of anonymity. But he said my reasoning was straightforward and I stand by it. Issuing my critiques without attribution forced the president to answer them directly on their merits or not at all, rather than creating distractions through petty insults and name calling. Desi Doyne, I can't recall at the time, were you in favor of him staying anonymous or did you were you one of those folks who called him cowardly for not coming out and uh, revealing remember. himself. You, you've lost track. I have. I know. Uh, me too, to be frank. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, his point about avoiding distractions through petty insults and name calling, had he come out and revealed himself at that time? Uh, Donald Trump, petty insults, name calling. <laughs> His reasoning does make sense to me now that he says it. Well, in fact, the White House and Trump himself have been busy leveling petty insults and name calling over the past hour since Taylor revealed himself as anonymous. Trump called him a disgruntled employee and a stiff because... This it's is 1964 or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know what makes him uh, disgruntled. He served until he decided to resign, as I understand it, and endorse Joe Biden before the Democratic National Convention over the summer. And let people know that Trump was actually talking about denying aid to states like California because they didn't vote for him. Stuff like that. How stiff he is. I won't <laughs> touch that one. But Trump campaign press secretary Hogan Gidley called him lame, arrogant, a Washington, D.C. swamp bro. A swamp bro apparently hired by Donald Trump to help lead the DHS for years. White House Press Secretary Kylie McEnany called him a low-level liar and a coward. So low-level that he was the chief of staff for the nation's largest federal agency other than the Pentagon. But whatevs. No, not a good day for Donald Trump, at least on paper. Uh, and in truth, that Miles Taylor story is really the least of the not good news for Trump today, arguably. Again, at least on paper, things are not going well for Donald Trump's election chances today. The one accomplishment that he believes he can crow about without having to lie is the stock market. He calls it the economy, but in fact, it's the stock market. Well, the Dow plummeted another 950 points today. The S&P and the Nasdaq were both down more than three and a half percent. The worst day for the market since June. All of this due to the alarming third wave spike of covid cases and hospitalizations and rising deaths sweeping much of the country, including states where Donald Trump has been holding crowded, largely mask free rallies over the past week or so, pretending that none of this is real, pretending that it's all going to disappear, that we have rounded the corner, that his strategy of doing absolutely nothing to keep the American people safe is a great strategy and that he's doing a great job. At the same time, hackers defaced the Trump campaign website this morning, threatening to expose uh, some corruption or other of Team Trump. Well, that's embarrassing for a campaign that used to make fun of Democrats for being hacked during the 2016 election. 
Trump's White House Office of Science and Technology Policy released a document detailing Donald Trump's achievements in the areas of science and technology. His top achievement, they said, quote, ending the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, really, that's what it says. Don't believe that's true? Well, there's testimony included in that document from well-known science and technology expert Ivanka Trump. So you know it's legit. There were 20 former Republican U.S. attorneys who served under Republican administrations, going all the way back to Eisenhower, Nixon, Reagan, and both Bushes, who issued a letter today offering their, quote, strongest endorsement of Joe Biden for president. U.S. attorneys? So much for Trump and his self-proclaimed law and order presidency. Though after having ended COVID-19, maybe we should give him a little slack. I don't know. And all the while, both national and battleground state polls show Biden continuing to lead by margins, both large and small, depending on where you look. One poll out today from ABC News and Washington Post, considered to be an A-plus poll from, uh, by 538.com, finds Joe Biden leading Donald Trump in Wisconsin by a, frankly, hard-to-believe 17 points. Now, while that poll seems to be an outlier, it's probably not helping to improve Trump's mood today or those of his supporters, especially hundreds of them in Nebraska who braved frigid temperatures and another likely super spreader event for hours before Trump finally arrived on the airstrip in Omaha to speak to them and then left 45 minutes later, leaving them in the freezing cold and darkness for hours, stranding them some three miles from their cars without buses to drive them back. The seven who had to be admitted, seven Trump supporters who had to be admitted to the hospital with hypothermia are probably really upset about it. So perhaps I'll get to some more details on some of those bad, very, very bad day stories for Donald Trump in a bit. But while things on paper might not look good today for Donald Trump. There are a few aces he likely believes he has up his sleeve or Trump cards, if you will. Thank you for that, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Unfortunately, those Trump cards now sit on the U.S. Supreme Court in a stolen Republican majority that became even more stolen this week with the seating of Amy Coney Barrett and a ruling on the same night regarding vote counting in Wisconsin, a very disturbing ruling, in fact, one that is even more disturbing than it initially appears, which is bad enough. As we noted briefly on yesterday's broadcast, the U.S. Supreme Court, even before Barrett was seated as the newest far right justice, rammed onto the court just seven days before Election Day on Tuesday, the court sided with Republicans on Monday night to prevent Wisconsin from counting mail ballots that are postmarked by Election Day but are not received until afterward. In a 5-3 to three party line order, the justices on Monday night refused to reinstate a lower federal court order that called for mail ballots to be counted if they are postmarked by Election Day and received up to six days after Election Day on November 3rd. So this is your deadline for voting at this point, and I recommend you don't wait. 
November 3rd is the deadline, but do not wait for that. Vote now if you can. And if you have a mail-in ballot at this point, fill it out now and deliver it by hand. No matter where you live, do not do not mail it at this point. If you have any other option to bring it to your election official in person or to the polls or to a drop box, check your local jurisdictions to see what is allowed where you live. But that Monday night order from the corrupt Republican Supreme Court has left voters in the crucial battleground state of Wisconsin now scrambling to get their votes in on time by the close of polls on Election Day. AP reports the Democrats and Republicans alike in the Badger state are now pushing to get some 320,000 outstanding absentee ballots returned by the close of polls on Election Day. Uh, back in the primary elections in Wisconsin, some 80,000 votes arrived after Election Day. They were counted because back then Republicans did not bother to challenge this law. They're only challenging it now that, you know, they have to be in a competitive election against Democrats. This is an all hands on deck final push, said Ben Wickler, who chairs the Wisconsin Democratic Party, which has been advocating absentee voting more aggressively than Republicans have. But the message is now the same for Republicans who decided to mail in their ballots amid a terrifying record surge in coronavirus cases right now in Wisconsin. Andrew Hitt, the chair of the Wisconsin Republican Party, said, if you do it absentee, do it now, quickly. But Monday night's ruling was even worse than it appears for several reasons, reasons that may well go above and beyond Wisconsin and arguably above and beyond this election. Though at this point, nobody knows exactly what it may mean, especially with another willingly corrupt right winger now sitting on a six to three Supreme Court. But Donald Trump offered another hint of what he hopes to be that Trump card up his sleeve during some chopper talk comments outside the White House on Tuesday morning on the day after that Supreme Court ruling came down regarding Wisconsin. It would be very, very proper and very nice if a winner were declared on November 3rd instead of counting ballots for two weeks, which is totally inappropriate. And I don't believe that that's by our laws. I don't believe that. Totally inappropriate? Not, quote, by our laws to count ballots validly cast on or before Election Day after Election Day is over? Really? That would seem absurd until you read the concurrence to Monday night's Supreme Court ruling written by GOP activist turned GOP activist justice Brett Kavanaugh. The Supreme Court decision on Monday, barring the counting of mail-in ballots in Wisconsin that arrive after Election Day, was not a surprise for many Democrats, writes The New York Times. Democrats had pressed for it, but expected to lose that case. But a concurring opinion by Justice Brett Kavanaugh set off alarms among civil rights and Democratic Party lawyers who viewed it as giving public support to President Trump's argument that any results counted after November 3 could be riddled with fraudulent votes, an assertion unsupported by the history of elections in the U.S., they write. The decision also unnerved Democrats and local election officials in Pennsylvania, where Republicans are asking the Supreme Court now to weigh in again on whether the state can accept ballots postmarked by Election Day, but 
received up to three days after. In his opinion, attached to the 5-3 to three ruling against the deadline extension in Wisconsin, Justice Kavanaugh wrote that Election Day mail-in deadlines were devised, quote, to avoid the chaos and suspicions of impropriety that can ensue if thousands of absentee ballots flow in after Election Day and potentially flip the results of an election, unquote. He added those states also want to be able to definitively announce the results of the election on election night or as soon as possible thereafter. While valid ballots counted after election night might flip the results of the election, says Justice Kavanaugh, that was hardly the only thing that Kavanaugh got completely wrong in his startling concurrence. Joining us now to explain just how wrong he was, but how disturbing that opinion from Kavanaugh and from his friend Justice Neil Gorsuch actually is, is our friend, the great Mark Joseph Stern, legal and court reporter from Slate.com. Oh, Mark, I was hoping I would not need to talk to you again before this election day, and I was praying that I don't need to talk to you shortly after this election day, but welcome back to the broadcast, amigo. (laughs) Thank you. Glad to be, I don't know, the angel of doom on your show (laughs) here to deliver some bad news from the heavens and generally terrify you about what's coming from our Supreme Court in the coming weeks and months. Yes, that's why you're our perfect guest on the broadcast. Join the club of doomsayers. I think it's fair to say uh, you went somewhat ballistic following uh, this Monday night Wisconsin ruling. Uh, So my simple question is, why? And I'll just go make a sandwich and listen while you answer. (laughs) Well, you tell me, should we start with the totally deranged attempt to pretend like Bush v. Gore created new election laws that uh, basically prevent states from protecting the right to vote? No, actually, actually, don't start with that part, because that's more complicated. Let's just start with the easy ones, like the idea that flipping uh, the election after uh, uh, Election Day would be a terrible thing. Yeah, so let's. So that is uh, the first and most shocking error in in this opinion. It's only an 18-page opinion that Brett Kavanaugh wrote here, but so many mistakes yep. crammed into it. Um, Brett Kavanaugh says that uh, if states count ballots after election day, that that the results of the election could flip, and that that would create chaos and suspicions of impropriety. Because according to Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. most states want to definitively announce the result of an election on election night. Okay, let me tell you some objective truths. <laughs> Zero states in this country definitively announce the results of an election on election night. Wait, let me, how many is it? Let me write that down. Zero. Okay, zero. zero. Okay, zero. This is okay. not something that states do. You and I may do it in the media. You know, Fox News may do it. CNN may do it. Mm-hmm. And candidates may do it. They may claim victory. But states don't. Some states certify the results a few days later. Some states do it a few weeks later. Some states do it in December. None of them do it on election night. And yet Brett Kavanaugh claims that Wisconsin has a legitimate interest in throwing out all of the ballots that are mailed by election day but arrive shortly thereafter because Wisconsin wants to announce 
definitively the winner of its election on November 3rd. My friends, that is an impossibility. That is not how this works, and it is stunning to me that a Supreme Court justice would yeah. misstate such a basic component of, of American election law. And, and it's it's stunning because uh, it's not just because of the COVID crisis at this point that uh, we, you know, we have all of these uh, additional mail-in ballots that we've never had before, but even on a, in a normal election, the results that are the unofficial results that are given out uh, publicly on election night are not even close to official. There are always absentee ballots to be counted. Uh, there are results. They go back and they uh, do some form of checking of the uh, uh, precinct results. They call it the canvas for days and, and often weeks after the election. You're right. Uh, to see this from a Supreme Court justice, even one appointed by Donald Trump at this point was was somewhat stunning. Then uh, th there were some other just it was one error after another in this uh, concurrence. Do you want to hit an, uh, a few of the other ones that jump out at you? And then we can get to the real concerns, as you say, going back to Bush v. Gore. Yeah, so uh, one of Kavanaugh's other arguments is that it's perfectly reasonable for states not to change their election laws to accommodate for the COVID crisis. And he says, look at Vermont. Mm -hmm. Vermont is an example of a state that did not change its election rules in the face of the COVID pandemic. Well, guess what? The Vermont Secretary of State had to announce the day after this opinion came down. Brett Kavanaugh is wrong. Vermont <laughs> changed its election laws. Vermont, for the first time ever, decided to mail a ballot to every registered voter on the list at the beginning of October to ensure, for the express purpose of ensuring, that people could have their ballots early and return them on time. So this example that Brett Kavanaugh tried to cite, he didn't just get it wrong. The truth directly contradicts the entire premise of his argument. You'd think he could at least go on Wikipedia here and figure <laughs> out that he was wrong, but no, Brett Kavanaugh doesn't feel he needs to fact-check his work. There was a, a, another point that he made where he cited uh, as evidence a statement from New York University law professor Richard Pildes uh, warning about the destabilizing effects of late-arriving ballots, but it came from an article in which Pildes was actually arguing the exact opposite of what Kavanaugh claimed that he was saying. Mark, don't any of the other justices, his fellow justices, review these materials first and tell him, uh, hey, Brett, you got this wrong. This is completely wrong. You, you need to change this before you make an ass out of yourself? Well, this is part of the problem with the Supreme Court's shadow docket, right? So these are cases that the court doesn't hear arguments in. It doesn't get full briefing. Uh, it just issues these decisions often at night, sometimes late at night. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no opinion for the court. All we get are a series of opinions from any justices who decided they wanted to explain their vote. So what happened here, it seems, is that Kavanaugh decided to write separately. You know, he wasn't writing for any other justice. It mm -hmm. was just him. And I, frankly, I doubt that the other justices, at least the other conservatives, read this closely. 
And I think that the dissenters, including Justice Elena Kagan, probably didn't want to point out all of these <laughs> errors because she wanted Kavanaugh to make a fool of himself, or, or, or at least mm-hmm. to kind of issue a, a decision that contradicts itself, an opinion that is so riddled with errors that no one can take it seriously. And, and if that was her game plan, mission accomplished. Now, the substance of this actual uh, order uh, that, you know, if, if a ballot comes in, even though it's postmarked, we know it is timely cast. Uh, and by the way, uh, Justice Kagan uh, and the other liberals dissented uh, strongly in this matter, uh, saying that uh, what would undermine the integrity of the election process is not counting ballots that were timely cast, but discarding them because uh, they show up late due to the postal service slowdowns, pandemic conditions and so forth. But you know, wouldn't the Trump lawyers be the first ones in line uh, if, let's say, the, uh, the the timely ballots in question were in Texas or Florida or Georgia and those late ballots were needed to be counted because, let's say, Biden is shown to be leading in those states on election night? Wouldn't you think that the Republican uh, attorneys and Team Trump would be the first one going to the court to say we cannot throw out these ballots? Of course. And in the year 2000, those Republican attorneys included Brett Kavanaugh. He was on the legal team Mm -hmm. in Bush v. Gore that tried to get ballots counted over Thanksgiving weekend Mm -hmm. that had arrived late. So he has played both sides of this issue. Previously, when it benefited Republicans, he said, okay, well, we've got to count the ballots. Now that it might benefit Democrats, he says, oh, no, we have to throw them out. It's total hypocrisy. There is no real principle here. And so how does, uh, as you started to say before, how does all of this tie back now to Bush, uh, Bush v. Gore in the year 2000, which, by the way, it wasn't just Brett Kavanaugh uh, who, who argued as a Republican activist attorney uh, in that case, but it was also John Roberts and the newest Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. All three of them actually worked for the Republican Party in 2000 to get that supposedly that order, the Bush v. Gore, that was supposed to never, ever, ever be cited again, according to the justices who wrote it, it was never supposed to be a precedent. Well, here we are. Brett Kavanaugh cites it as a precedent. Yes, and and Kavanaugh specifically cites this concurring opinion that doesn't even have five votes attached to it, where Rehnquist, Scalia, and Thomas advanced this very radical theory that Kavanaugh claims is the law of the land, that this concurrence to an opinion that declares it is not precedent has actually been the law this whole time. And, and to lay it out very simply, the argument here is that when state courts or a governor or a board of elections try to protect voting rights mm-hmm. by, for instance, saying, okay, we need to count every ballot, mm-hmm. and this the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, doesn't think that that decision uh, is what the legislature would have wanted, the state legislature, Um, then the Supreme Court has to come in and shut it all down. The Supreme Court has to say, hey, you know, the governor, the secretary of state, the state courts, you may all think you know what state law means, but we know better And we're going to come in and determine that you can't count these ballots because that's what the legislature would have wanted. Uh, That is a crazy violation of basic 
states' rights principles. Okay, that is an insane intrusion on state sovereignty. But it is what Brett Kavanaugh now claims to be the law of the land. And if it ever did become the law of the land, it would turn the Supreme Court into a kind of roving voter suppression squad that could smack down any state that tried to expand voting rights. Yeah, well, guess what? Now we have a uh, roving voter suppression squad with a 6-3 to three majority on the Supreme Court, it seems, because this is an issue, you know, it, it was cited, as you say, in Bush v. Gore, but it was not accepted by a majority of the court at the time, but now... This seems to be the deal. This court now clearly believes that if a state legislature specifically has not set some particular law or election rule themselves, then it can be thrown out by the U.S. Supreme Court, found to be an unconstitutional violation of the elections clause in the Constitution, which says that the time, place, and manner of elections are to be established by the quote, legislature in each state. So does that mean, Mark Joseph Stern, that whatever the legislature decides does not have to be approved by the governor and that the governor can't even veto it because it is set by the legislature and only the legislature has rules over over our over over states elections? So that seems to be the argument that Brett Kavanaugh is advancing. And Neil Gorsuch, as you mentioned at the top, is also on board with this argument. Mm -hmm. And I, I think Thomas and Alito are as well. We'll see about Barrett. I'm not optimistic. But let me just give you an example of why this is a totally unworkable theory. It's, it's a case that's before the Supreme Court as we speak in North Carolina. So here's what happened. The legislature said that election officials have to count ballots that come in up to three days after Election Day. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it creates a three-day window. And then it tells the Board of Elections, hey, if there's an emergency, you can extend this window. Okay, so the Board of Elections this year looks at COVID and says, this is an emergency. We're going to extend the window to to nine days, mm -hmm. pursuant to what the legislature told us we could do, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And now Republicans are claiming that the State Board of Elections violated the legislature's will by exercising a power that the legislature gave to it. So my question is, what exactly does the legislature want in this circumstance? How do you determine what the legislative intent is? It seems to me that the much better idea is to just defer to the state's own process. Mm -hmm. But apparently, five justices on this court may believe that it's their job to step in and basically say, whoever wants to suppress more votes you're the one who's setting the rule. Well, and uh, but didn't we have a ruling recently? I think it was one of the Pennsylvania rulings where they actually uh, did say that, that they actually said that this is up to the legislature to, to you know, whatever the legislature, even if it's a bad law, the legislature has passed it. The legislature has spoken. Uh, they are the only ones ultimately who get to make these decisions. Well, so Four Supreme Court justices basically seem to have endorsed that in mm -hmm. the Pennsylvania case, not John Roberts. Right. And because this decision came down before Amy Coney Barrett joined, this was a deadlock, which means mm -hmm. that no law was made. It basically decided nothing. So all eyes are now on Amy Coney Barrett to see if she will go 
far to the right and join the four horsemen of the court in basically creating a game of Calvin ball where, you know, whatever five Supreme Court justices think the legislature wanted, that's the law of the land. I mean, this really now seems to be what they are pushing and what we sort of hear uh, Donald Trump echoing in, in his comments, you know, coupled with that that recent four to four ruling. Uh, and the uh, there was a ruling that legisl- uh, a few weeks earlier that legislatures may order electors to vote in the Electoral College however they want them to, whether that uh, goes along with the popular vote or not. Well, doesn't that allow legislatures after Election Day now to instruct electors to vote in a way that is contrary to the popular vote in that state if well, the legislature wants? This is the big question, right? So we do not know if a legislature can simply assign its electors to a candidate after the state has already held a popular vote. But that is where the logic of Kavanaugh and Gorsuch takes you, right? If all of this is in the hands of the legislature, if the legislature is the only one making, calling the shots here, then in theory, the legislature should be able to just say, hey, voters, we're not going to pay any attention to what you want. Mm-hmm. We're just going to appoint the electors ourselves, and we're going to appoint those for Trump, because we think there was so much voter fraud or whatever that Donald Trump is the rightful winner of this election, no matter what the results say. Well, that would be crazy. You would have to have an extremist, radical judiciary <laughs> full of <laughs> activist judges to even come up with something like that. Uh, Mark, how I I mean, when this uh, decision came down on Monday uh, and you were obviously incensed by it, as we saw on your Twitter feed and as we have seen in, I don't know, four, five, six articles at Slate.com ever since responding to it. What's your fear? I mean, as you look forward, as we look forward to uh, Tuesday and beyond, uh, is your concern about what's going to happen in this election, elections down the road? What's your uh, sort of worst nightmare as all of these things are coming together at this point? Yeah, so two related fears. The the first is that there will be uh, an election, you know, on Tuesday that seems to go well, but then comes down to one swing state, let's say Pennsylvania. And the vote in Pennsylvania is really close, and it comes down to whether or not those ballots that are mailed on November 3rd but arrive a little later, mm-hmm. whether those are counted. And I think if it comes down to that question, it, it, it creates maximum mayhem and lets the Supreme Court come in and throw away all of those late-arriving ballots and just declare Trump the winner. My longer-term concern is about something I've been saying on this show and elsewhere for many years, Mm -hmm. which is that even as the federal judiciary turns its back on voting rights, uh, we can still look to state courts, state Supreme Courts, to vindicate the right to vote, because Mm -hmm. every state constitution protects the right to vote and to participate in free elections. But if the Supreme Court is going to say that state courts don't get to make election law or even really participate in it, that only the legislature decides how elections are run, then all of that goes out the window. We can't have state Supreme Courts uh, halting partisan gerrymandering. We can't have state Supreme Courts striking down voter ID laws or restoring early voting. You know, state Supreme Courts will be powerless to protect the franchise if the legislature doesn't want it. And that, uh, at the end of the day, is what frightens me the most. And 
That is essentially what we saw in 2000. You had the Supreme Court come in and say that while the uh, state, Florida State Supreme Court has ordered uh, all uh, counties in the state to hold a hand count, we are going to essentially stop that. Uh, we had the uh, the man who oversaw the 2000 uh, recount, the aborted 2000 recount in Florida on this show a few days ago, Ion Sancho. He's quite concerned about all of this. You cited Pennsylvania. At least there's a Republican governor, uh, I'm sorry, a Democratic governor there who could try, I guess, to veto the legislature. But again, we don't know if governors even have any right, any say in any of this. If this comes down to Florida, you got a right-wing majority uh, in the legislature, a very Trumpy governor as well. And back in 2000, you'll remember, Mark, uh, the legislature actually did say, well, we will vote to give our electors to George W. Bush, no matter how the count comes out. That was before they were saved by the U.S. Supreme Court. But I guess that just goes back to uh, the need for people to vote, to have such a landslide in so many states that it is essentially impossible to make these arguments. Yes, that's right. I mean, I think Biden has to be winning by hundreds of thousands of votes in pretty much every swing state that leads him up to 270 electoral votes. Because if this comes down to a few thousand or a few hundred ballots, oh boy, it's going to make Bush v. Gore look like a warm-up act for what's coming next. <sighs> Fantastic. All right, listen, i got to take a quick break here, uh, but I want to come back with, uh, with you, Mark, uh, and ask you about Joe Biden's. Uh, has, Joe Biden has now come out with his uh, thoughts on expanding the Supreme Court. I know you have strong feelings in response to that. And also about this uh, federal court ruling that has essentially thrown out the DOJ's attempt to get Donald Trump off the hook in this case related to an alleged uh, rape that he is said to have carried out of a, of, a, of a columnist some years ago. Very interesting case. That's straight ahead with Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. For a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine yes. go down. Yes, it does. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with our spoonful of sugar that we call 
Mark Joseph Stern, the legal reporter from Slate.com. Uh, oh, Mark, let me ask you before we go to sort of help uh, cheer us up. I'm sure this will work. Two questions uh, two, uh, about two separate issues. Uh, one, Joe Biden uh, last, uh, I think it was on Sunday on 60 Minutes, he finally answered the question about whether he would expand the Supreme Court, sort of. The answer that he gave was that he would create a bipartisan commission of legal scholars to study and recommend such reforms in six months. Here's his, uh, here's his response very quickly. If elected, what I will do is I'll put together a national commission of bipartisan commission of scholars, constitutional scholars, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative, and I will uh, ask them to, over uh, 180 days, come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system because it's getting out of whack. So uh, a commission of scholars, six months, study the issue. Uh, actually, a commission of bipartisan scholars somehow uh, come back with a, a, a response on how to reform the courts. Your response to Joe Biden's position now so there's a way this can work and a way it won't uh if you put any significant number of republicans on that commission they will sabotage it they will not act in good faith it will be a farce so let's hope it's mostly not republicans and let's hope that this commission tries to actually make an affirmative case for court reform explains to the american people why this is necessary and ultimately hands down its, its guidance in June of 2021, right as the Supreme Court will be handing down a slew of disastrously right-wing opinions. Mm. If the timing works out, if the personnel on this body uh, is, are actually independent or progressive-minded scholars and activists, it can work. But if he puts Repub too many Republicans on it, basically more than one, it's going to be a flop. So that's the way it's going to be uh, a flop. I mean, it should. I, you know, I feel like uh, and I think you and I have talked about it before that uh, if he brought it up now, if he said, here is what I would like to do, then at least there would be a mandate. Or if, even if he won't, other Democrats are saying we need to do this. Then there would be a mandate allowing his leadership to actually get this done. When I hear, uh, oh, uh, let's have a commission study it. That sounds to me like uh, let's have. Let's forget about this thing entirely. Yeah, it frightens me. Look, it's, it's not my first choice. Of course, I think Biden should come in and on January 21st it, add four seats, pass a one-page bill that adds four seats to the Supreme Court, for starters. But if he's not willing to do that, then setting this up so that in June of 2021 we get that showdown, I, I think it could, like I said, it could work. I'm not super optimistic. I don't think Joe Biden loves the idea of court reform at all. But, you know, the younger progressives are pushing him on this. The people like AOC are coming out and supporting it. If this is a way for Biden to work his way to yes, then I guess I'm for it. And we're actually seeing, uh, you know, conservative senators like Chris Coons and uh, Angus King. Or I shouldn't say conservative as much as institutionalists. They're also saying something like this may need to happen. And so I'm, I'm seeing that as a good sign. I'm just worried it gets lost in the commission. Last question for you here, uh, Mark Joseph Stern, and um, hoping that, well, I was going to hope that this leaves us in a, in a better, <laughs> in a more optimistic mood, but I don't know. Uh, e. Jean Carroll, the uh, columnist who 
uh, is suing Donald Trump. Uh, she claims that he uh, raped her in the 90s and that she has evidence to prove it. He came out, he was asked about this some months ago, and he um, defamed her, essentially, saying, oh, she's not my type, she's a liar. Well, uh, just as she was about to try to get a DNA sample from Donald Trump, she claims she has a stained dress, the DOJ stepped in and they said, oh, he was answering that as part of his duties as president. Therefore, we, the DOJ, will represent him. And uh, because federal officials can't be sued for what they do in uh, the course of their jobs, this case will then be thrown out entirely when it is moved from state court to federal court. Well, a federal court judge has now, if I understand it, said that's nonsense, DOJ. No, this was not part of his official duties. You don't get to represent him and uh, basically threw it out. But does that mean that the DOJ is going to appeal this up to the U.S. Supreme Court that has now been stacked on Donald Trump's behalf? And will this be Amy Coney Barrett's first test of her loyalty to this president? Well, the thing is, I'm pretty sure that by the time that case gets to the Supreme Court, uh, Biden, if he wins, will already be in office and take control of the Justice Department. So there's a lot of big ifs here. Um, you know, of course, Biden could lose. If so, this case will go up to the Supreme Court and it will be a test for Barrett and for the conservatives. Uh, I think the, the lower court judge who issued this terrific decision made another great point, which is that the statute that the Justice Department is invoking doesn't even encompass the president. It's supposed to be for federal agencies and their employees. It's not about the president. Uh, it doesn't even apply to him. Mm. And I think that that's a pretty straightforward reading of the text. But we've moved well beyond the point when we can feel safe and secure in a Supreme Court that just reads the law and applies it as written. So who knows what, what mischief the five extreme conservatives plus Roberts could get into if this does reach SCOTUS. Has the DOJ said whether they plan to appeal this or not? Uh, I don't believe it has yet. I don't think this is a top priority. The DOJ is far too busy trying to destroy Obamacare and suppress as many Democratic votes as possible. You're right. Priorities. First things first. Thank you, Mark Joseph Stern. Uh, I, uh, Like I said, I was hoping I wouldn't have to talk to you this soon. I fear uh, I may have to call you next week, but we'll uh, see. I hope I don't have to talk to you. Let's hope we do not speak for the next several weeks. I can't wait to not speak to you soon. Mark Joseph Stern covers the law, the court system, the U.S. Supreme Court, and election law, and so much more at Slate.com. You should read him every day, and you can find him on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Thank you, Mark. Buckle up. We'll talk soon. Talk to you on the other side, my friend. Yep. Okay, and we'll, let's take a quick break here. We'll talk to you on the other side of that break and Desi Doyen. <laughs> and not even sure where... Oh, I know what we're doing. Uh, we, uh, we will announce the winner of our AirSats uh, contest that I suddenly announced earlier in the week concerning <laughs> a They Might Be Giants song. Uh, and we will play us out with a song that uh, might be inspiration that we all need right around now. And God knows... We could use it. Uh, that's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hang on, hang on tight. They might be giants. Boy. They might be giants. They might be rain. They might be. Welcome back. This is the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. So uh, earlier this week, I think it was Monday, I don't know, I've lost track of all the days, <laughs> uh, we had played a song by that group, They Might Be Giants, for bumper music, and the name of the song was Particle Man, and it was for a uh, before a guest of ours, Ion Sancho, who I mentioned earlier in the show to uh, Mark. Ion was the longtime supervisor of elections in Leon County, Florida, so respected by his peers on both the right and the left that he was selected to oversee the eventually aborted recount in 2000 in the presidential election between George W. Bush and Al Gore. And I asked when we play the bumper music, hey, anyone who writes me at bradcast at bradblog.com, the first one to do so with an explanation of why I'm playing that bumper music, uh, will get some sort of a prize. The prize is... We will name you on this show as being the first one to have written in with the right Such answer. Such a prize. Isn't that a prize? So uh, Mike in L.A. is the winner of oh, our nice. big prize. Uh, he writes with the subject line Ion to say, If the song was Particle Man, it obviously was chosen because your esteemed guest is testifying during a Santa Ana Winds event. And there, there was a Winds event That's going true. on out here. Uh, noted for its effusion of negatively charged particles, or ions, which contribute to bad moods nearly as much as vote tabulators connected <laughs> to the Internet. Oh, well said. Right? Snap. Very good. He adds, if the song, however, was Barnacle Man, the radio needs tuning and a long <laughs> screed about SpongeBob <laughs> is called for. He adds, by the way, what a gloomy Gus you are. Herd immunity works. That's why no one gets colds or the flu anymore, <laughs> says Mike in L.A., the winner of our big contest. Congratulations, uh, congratulations, Mike. Uh, also, uh, uh, well, let's see, I'll just call him D.P., he writes in to say, Brad, you played that instead of the Chad song? LOL? Oh, for hanging Chad in Florida. I know, but is there a Chad song? You I got don't know. Me. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know of any Chad song. Uh, DP, you'll have to send me a link to it. We'll be happy to play it. Maybe if we have to start talking about Florida for some odd reason and the year two thousand again in the near future, which I very much hope we do not have to talk about. Anyway, so I don't know that song. But then he adds, "Oh, and fun fact: Nicole Sandler's colleague Randy Rhodes." Owns a Palm Beach County voting booth from 2000, complete with a ballot card, punch hole device, and one of the infamous butterfly ballots from 2000. Well, hey, guess what, DP? <laughs> 
I happen to own one of those as well. As a matter of fact, someone sent it to me uh, some years ago. Uh, I think some. Uh, it was think? HBO after they did after they did their the. It was a film uh, called Recount. I right. think with Kevin Spacey. With Kevin Spacey was in it. Actually, HBO did not send it to us. However, it was a group down in Florida, and I'm kicking myself. I think it was. I want to say the Progressive Democrats of. Florida or something like that. Very kindly, uh, they sent me one of the machines that was both used in Palm Beach County and used in the HBO movie Recount. Both. Yes. As a matter of fact, we opened it up the first time and tons of chad, chad. fell out all over the studio here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a fun fact. I own one of those as well. What am I going to do with it? I don't know. I keep trying to find somewhere to put it. But anyway, there you go. So uh, thank you, DP. And uh, again, congratulations, Mike, in L.A. And speaking of Nicole Sandler, our regular guest host here on the Bradcast, um, she wrote a song of a sort. At least she it's a satirical song. She wrote new lyrics for a well-known song that I think will serve us well over the next few days, given how important it is, how important it is for um, Donald Trump not just to lose by a close margin, but Donald Trump to lose, as he might say, bigly <laughs> everywhere. In the country, and I'm talking states like Texas and Iowa and Georgia, uh, not to mention Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Minnesota. all of that, Minnesota. I mean, everywhere to make it as hard as possible for him to run to his little pals at the U.S. Supreme Court to have them overturn the election on his behalf. What is needed? Well, uh, Lauren Myers sings about it in this song with the new lyrics by our friend Nicole Sandler. November 3rd's coming round Our one last chance to get rid of this clown In this crucial election We all have to vote Till a landslide brings him down Ballot in my mail, I'd fill you out. Find a legitimate drop box so there's no doubt. And I cast my voter lease so that it arrives to end this whole season of Trump lies. Well, I've been counting the moments Till we get rid of this schmo As time moves faster We can end this disaster If we vote for Kamala and Joe Well, I'm not afraid of genius take his mushroom and evacuate the White House grounds cast the votes to evict this clown we can take back the Senate and take back the town 
and have no more corruption from this insensitive Scrooge as the landslide takes Trump down. He can't contest the election if the margin is huge. Let's make a landslide to take Trump down. We need a landslide to take Trump down. Huzzah! <laughs> well done. Yes, that was uh, Lauren Myers uh, in a song uh, with new lyrics by Nicole Sandler. The old song by the um, Ma- uh, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Thank you very much. All right, and hey, thanks to all of you. See, a spoonful of sugar uh, does help. It does help, but I do want to say one thing. Yes. Really important. Yes. It is important to vote now if what? you have not voted yet. No. And also, I think it's really important to be a helper. Check in with your friends and family and mm. make sure that they have voted. Do they need any help? Offer to give them a ride to drop off their ballot in person. Look up your local regulations and find out what's allowed for getting that ballot in as soon as possible. A lot of people need help. They may not ask for it. So reach out. Be helpful. Help your friends, your family, and your neighbors make sure that they vote. Whatever. (laughs) They're all just as bad, aren't they? No. No? Democrats and Republicans, they're just alike? Same difference? No Uh, no difference? None of you believe in action on climate change. They are absolutely not in any way whatsoever at all alike. One wants to make climate change as bad as possible. The other wants to actually do something about it. And in case you've uh, tuned into the broadcast for the first time ever, I didn't mean a word of what I just said (laughs) about them all being just as bad as each other. And when it comes to climate change, I know our our, uh, listeners down in in, uh, on WHIV in New Orleans right now uh, as Hurricane Zeta is coming ashore, uh, well, hopefully they know that message loud and clear before you even had to say it, Desi Doyen, after this is the fifth hurricane. Fifth named landfalling storm. Uh, it, it, to hit Louisiana this year alone. Right. Unbelievable. All right. Thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, the great Slate's Mark Joseph Stern, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Share it with your friends and your family and your enemies after you help them all vote. (laughs) Yes, including your enemies. Uh, That is a free service made possible by those of you kind enough to support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. That is it. We will see you there until we see you here. I hope tomorrow. Go vote if you haven't already. Please. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,